Here we sit in 2020, now February, we're in Oxford, we're at the Pitt Rivers Museum, uh, which is, help me out, a museum of natural history, or how do they? Um, it's an ethnographic museum, the Pitt Rivers Museum, yeah, owned by, owned by Oxford University. And, and I've been looking around my first time here, and there's the effort to tell the story of the earth to begin with. And I, I've observed a lot of the, the animals and, and uh, historical sort of yeah. bringing it to now. But there's also elements of people, right? Well, that, so the first big museum you walk into is the Natural History Museum, which is where the dinosaurs are and so on. And then at the back, at the very back, there's a, a small doorway that takes you into a, a tre treasure chamber uh, which is the pit rivers yeah. and the pit rivers museum is a unique museum it's kind of a museum of museums it's 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 retained its victorian kind of character um so you have everything in cabinets wooden old wooden cabinets um kind of stuffed together around type rather than around cultures so the cultures are all mixed up um, so for example, they have tools in one place and masks in one place and so forth. Um, as I was waiting today, I was looking at the musical instruments. I love musical instruments and it's true that they had every kind of flute from all over the world under in one box. I was looking at flutes from Asia, flutes from North America and I thought, oh, okay. Um, and that, and that was the voice of Nick and I should allow you both to introduce yourselves. So let's, let's do some of that conventional, uh, I'm here with two friends of mine. I like saying that. I'm sometimes a little bit proud uh, that I've made friends with people I didn't know years ago, uh, whose presence I enjoy very much, who I learn from, but I also just enjoy being around. So this is one of those recordings, everyone out there, where I get to sit with friends. Well, yeah, I'm Nick Lunch uh, from Oxford in the UK, and I'm the director and uh, co-founder of Insight Share. And actually, was sitting with um, with my friend Mark here not so many months ago in near Cape Town in South Africa, incredibly, and there's a beautiful location. So it's nice to, to be back sitting with you again. Yeah, I, I still have very fond memories. I'm sure my next friend also does of South Africa. Introduce yourself. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mark. I'm Samuel Angria from Tanzania, Maasai community, and I work for the Lama, the Ma Voice, uh, and I'm here um, working with Insertia uh, and the museum. And uh, decolonizing museums, uh, living culture project. Decolonizing museums, the living culture uh, project. And there's a lot to unpack there, and we've been doing it in different conversations. Many of you listening will have heard perhaps some of what we recorded in South Africa. You're going to hear also what we've heard here in, um, in Oxford. Um, I want to go back. The year was 2017. Sam, you were here. What was the context? What were you doing here at the time? And then we'll get to what you experienced. Um, I was invited by the Insight Chair alongside many other uh, traditional uh, leaders of indigenous leaders attending an indigenous leaders meeting. Uh, we were talking about uh, establishing an Insight Chair network 
of indigenous communities across uh, African continent, uh, Europe, and three continents, I think, to start with, Africa, Asia, and America. And um, this is the meeting that actually brought me to, 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 to Oxford that time. Well, I, I called that meeting because um, we'd been working with indigenous groups from across the world for, for many years and um, in training them in, in, in capacity building in participatory video. So we had these long-term partnerships and it felt like it was time to create something new um, that was really like a bespoke organization that was led by indigenous peoples, uh, a movement, if you like, um, to support this growing network of autonomous indigenous media. And so uh, where does the um, Pitt Rivers Museum visit uh, fit into what was going on at the time? So after the hard work of in the retreat where we worked hard for three, four days. A lot of it was learning from the past, learning what has worked well, what mistakes were made and how we can improve that in the future. So after that kind of design retreat, if you like, um, it was, you know, it felt nice to do some kind of fun things. And the Pitt Rivers is a museum that's re I'm really fond of. Uh, I've I've been bringing my kids here since they were little. Um, I've lived in Oxford for many years and I've always enjoyed coming here. And whenever a visitor comes to stay with us, it's the first place that I want to take, take them to because it's so unique. I am Laura van Broekhoven. I'm the director of the Pitt Rivers Museum. The Pitt Rivers Museum in amongst ethnographic museums is a really very well-known worldwide People teach about the Pit Rivers Museum, especially the fact that it has that visual aspect. But it's also quite well known in the sector as a museum that has always been trying to push the limits and and um, sort of because it's an it's part of an academic institution and one of the very sort of quite famous academic institutions in the world. It has always had very innovative curators here who were sort of looking at can we think about things differently? Can we do things differently? The, the museum were fantastic. They actually took the trouble of finding some artifacts from the regions of, of our guests. Uh, and um, so we had a woman from Nagaland, um, two women from northwest Mexico, um, and Sam from the Maasai. With the Nick connection, we, we were um, welcomed by the director of the museum, who knew actually that we were coming because they have previous uh, arrangement, prior arrangement. And um, when I came here, uh, for sure, I didn't kind of know what I'm going to see. More or less, I was coming as a tourist. This is what I, like, it was like a day out and I, I would maybe see the museum and, but I, I was not imagining that I could see the Maasai uh, artifacts. So when we, we got in, uh, the director welcomed us and introduced us to the to the team, and we were taken to see the Maasai and other things from other continents. This is where uh, the whole thing started, the first, the very first encounter with the Maasai artifacts. Someone had introduced Nick and to me, um, and so we had had a, a sort of meeting in my office a couple of months before, and he, uh, we sort of found. Um, that there were quite a bit of things that we could maybe sort of make more of what we were doing by joining up you know, in a sort of partnership because 
they were bringing indigenous leaders to Oxford. We have heritage from across the globe, many of them from indigenous people. So it makes, and we, we often receive people, indigenous people who come and do research either because objects are of personal relevance to them and they have, we have their family archive or we have objects that are from their families or because they're indigenous scholars who are in an academic setting. So we receive about, you know, 600 to 800 research visitors a year. Here we um, worked with people from Tibet, with people from uh, Haida Gwaii, from North America. We had worked with uh, Lakota. We've worked with a lot of indigenous peoples, but not so much with uh, some of the people he was talking about. So he said he was going to have someone from Nagaland, a Maasai uh, person, and two uh, women from uh, Mexico who were visiting. Now, our Mexico collections are not great. So we already thought that wouldn't be, you know, sort of probably not be incredibly inspiring to them. But our mm -hmm. Nagaland collections are some of the best in the world, probably the best outside of India. Um, and our Maasai collections, we didn't know how good they were because we'd not really done research on them. So we invited them. We had brought out in our research visitor space, we had brought out objects. Um, for them to have a look at. And then it always depends what happens. Each visit is very different. Um, and Sam's reaction was very clearly one of a sort of shock, um, annoyance also somewhat. I, I couldn't control myself and I had to tell them that I'm not happy. Mm. I'm, telling, I'm not happy and uh, I asked them, have you ever received any Masayan who happened to see these things? They said no. And I think, you know, Nicholas Crow was a, was a person who brought out the objects. Um, and he was also a bit insecure of, you know, I don't know if this is the right selection because we, you know, we've not done research on them, but I've taken some things that look very different, seem to be from the different, uh, collectors also. So then hopefully in the next stage, they could indicate what they would like to see. And, uh, so do you know who are the Maasai's? Yes, but they are objects we know. Mm -hmm. And do you know these objects represent the Maasai community? And some of them are very, very critical to the way we live. No, we don't know. We just know that we have the objects from Maasai community. So this is where we started talking about uh, this is not good, it's not fair. Sam's first reaction that I remember was about, uh, amongst other things, so there was a big sort of... Um, I think it's lion hair uh, sort of headdress. Um, then there was um, a knife. And he was quite annoyed by the knife, which is used for circumcision uh, ceremonies. And so looking at the labels and reading what was on them, he was really keen to know, but how, how did this actually take place? Because it says it was collected. What does that mean? Were they just lying on the ground and did they just take them? Or uh, And here it says that it's missionaries who uh, donated them to you. Why would missionaries have had the sort of access to these objects. And so he he immediately asked all the right questions, which are the questions that, you know, we would also ask. And also the sort of questions that um, I think in other of these sorts of consultations that we do or, or, or um, projects that we have are often asked. Even then we had um, a shaman from uh, Ecuador, from, from the Amazon, a Quechua shaman called Kurikindi, um, who I had invited along to the retreat and to be part of this gathering to launch Insight Share Network, knowing that in all of the projects I've been involved with with Indigenous peoples over the years, a, an important project must start with a ceremony. And he was really interested in the museum as well. And so he came with us when we on that day. And they, they showed him some artifacts from his culture as well, which I remember him putting 
correcting some of the narratives. Uh, Kurikindi uh, with his sister, um, who's also a shaman, um, performed a, a very powerful ceremony. And he was really speaking to the artifacts also in the museum. He turned around at a certain point and speaking to the artifacts and um, trying to say that, you know, this was really a sort of start of a beginning of a process of um, healing and uh, redress. Basically, it was an attempt by him to pacify the spirits and ancestors he could feel were troubled in the museum. And I remember Sam um, coming to me during, so we had drinks and I think a cup of soup beforehand. Um, and we were chatting sort of, and there was a, there was a really good rapport also yeah. between Sam and I. And I really liked, I uh, was such a keen thinker and a very gifted speaker, obviously, that he is. Mm. Um, so he sort of said to me, Yalora, I think this is all really nice, but we're going to have to have some difficult conversations. He didn't say it exactly that okay. way, but it was something like that. Having been to the museum on several occasions with my family and friends, you know, I, I could see that perhaps there was a, a, a small role that we could play in in bringing uh, the voice of communities, um, the presence of of these some of these source communities into the museum to engage um, with the public through these these important cultural space, which you know sees so many visitors coming throughout the year, and it's one of Oxford's main tourist attractions. And I could see the connection between the work we were doing on the ground with indigenous communities and these, uh, these collections here in, in Oxford. And as well, of course, the connection that Oxford has historically um, as, a, as a center of, of the a sort of colonial, the colonial power, the British Empire. And I registered my concern, actually. And I asked the, the director whether, can I see your kind of a strategic plan to see whether you have, you have any plan with indigenous community? Uh, not only Masai, but others, to see where we can fit in. You know, do you have a strategic plan? That was one of the first <laughs> things he said, which yeah. I, you know, no one else asked from the indigenous leaders. And I said, yes, I do. Uh, luckily, we did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I showed it to him. And actually, I have the... <laughs> it's a plan. Um, Laura is reaching um, for a, uh, it's a black, uh, thin, uh, uh, like magazine. Pitt Rivers Museum, strategic plan 2017 to 2022, understanding our pasts, imagining our futures with beautiful uh, uh, images on it. Yes. <laughs> so, and so I went, I, 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 I took a copy to him and I was actually downstairs and I showed it to him and he said, uh, so he, he read it and he, and he sort of went through it. Yeah, yeah, this is all great, you know, guiding principles and uh, the values and, uh, you know, that you want to talk about humanity's many ways of knowing, being, creating and coping an interconnected world. But I don't see anything about living cultures. He gave me, it was so generous. And she actually, she was also like not expecting such critical questions from just people who were to come and pass by and see and connect with her. So this is how the whole thing because by putting them in these sort of glass cases and by putting them in a museum, to him museums were places where cultures were historicized and therefore declared dead. 
which obviously, you know, known as the continuous fight to actually exist of existence, pure existence for indigenous people, and um, the continuous oppression of mostly nation states across the globe for you know the five thousand indigenous different indigenous people. That is that that was something that resonated very sort of um, loudly with me, um, and it was I think that was one of the first things that I thought oh this is very different from what I've heard before um, in similar sort of situations where I've worked with um, indigenous people. So the, this idea of the museum being a place where you actually cultures go to die, mm. which stood obviously in complete opposition of what we think we do as sure. museums, where we are of personal relevance and we talk about ways of being, and was just a really inter interesting. Thing, I think, uh, thing to work on with each other. Sam, you've taught me that within your community, there are processes for justice, for decision-making, um, very organized, different levels. When you brought this information back to your community, what kind of reactions did you get, at least initially? When I went back, um, the first thing I did was uh, to send an email like putting together my ideas to the director of the museum and Nick. Um, and the email was more of a to sum up what I saw and my reaction and possibly what I think would be done. The sort of vision of what he was, he would like to see happening next, uh, which to him was really about healing the sort of very broken hearts of uh, many, many indigenous people across the world and sort of actually lead the way of what we would be able to do. And then after that, I I went to the Maasai traditional leaders because I was very keen. This is kind of a, in the heart of Maasai culture, where these objects were taken. And then when meeting them the first time, I told them I found some objects from Maasai community in the museum in the UK. Uh, the first reaction was, no, I don't think. No, no, I, no, nothing like that. There was no way. We have worked so hard to make sure that uh, we remained with our objects. Our objects are rotating within ourselves unless the contemporary selling. And I know that is being bought by individuals. Unless these people, the tourists are buying and then taking to the museum. Is that the case? No, these are very old things. No way. We, we don't believe. And I, I showed them some pictures, photos of some of the old things I, I, I found in the museum. So they said, no, then we have to have a meeting. If this is the case, then this is, um, you know, a want does never end. They will always going to come because uh, <laughs> we don't expect anything like this outside this community. We had to organize a meeting with around five traditional leaders. And this is where the role of PV now comes in. We decided to, to do a film of the meeting. I introduced the whole thing and then traditional leaders now said their reaction. I assured them that I'm not going to temper with this information, I will send this information to the director of the museum. She's so responsive. She was very worried and she was also feeling like wanting to, to go deeper and understand what the Maasai community say.
the, the messages were very powerful, but it was also very uh, well produced. And that was obviously because they had all these participatory video making skills. Um, so it was eight elders who were sitting sort of in a semicircle with some in the middle. And they all had different aspects that they touched on of what was problematic about it. So it wasn't like we're just annoyed and send it back, but it was more we need to speak about, it. we need to talk about this, we need to find an agreement, negotiate between each other. How are you going? How we're going to do this better? Um, but also, some of the elders were really annoyed, were really angry. Uh, they felt that they were going to keep us accountable, uh, the museum leadership accountable for having these objects, because that objects weren't supposed to have been taken and weren't supposed to be kept. Um, and also that um, the way that they write their history is through objects, is through the materiality, because they don't write on paper, but they write their stories and their culture is written through objects, where some of the things that it's a very powerful film. I wanted to make sure that the director and the partners who were behind, uh, when they were, who were there when I, I raised my concerns, could feel and know that what my cited here in the system, which is a, a functioning system, I would say about the objects in the museum. Luckily that before this actually, before the, the meeting in 2017 with uh, InsightShare and other uh, indigenous leaders, um, InsightShare happened to have supported the the training of an establishment of a Maasai video collective in, in my community. So it was uh, like uh, an opportunity that we already have uh, a video uh, mechanism. So it was done by the Maasai themselves, edited by the Maasai, and we forwarded it to the to the director. What a, what a great, uh, I don't know if that's called a coincidence or just the right time for things to happen, yeah, sure. that you would have trained people for video and now we can use it. We, if it happened that it was a coincidence, but also this is a kind of uh, what the Maasai expect of PV and and as you say, this is a coincidence that we happen to be trained because if to, we were to hire somebody to come and film, I'm sure the message could have been different. And so we have a process, and actually a process on top of a process. If, if participatory video is, was one process that is ongoing, now we also have this question of among the elders, what are we going to do? There are items, th these items, many of them should not be there. Uh, how do we engage? Let's decide on what's the right path. Hmm? Meanwhile, there's a process that starts here as well. If it wasn't for the message, the video message sent by the elders, this project wouldn't have existed. It wouldn't have gone any further. I think the video message really gave the project le legitimacy. It wasn't just about an individual, Samuel, and his response to an artifact. It suddenly became much bigger than that. It became a community response. It was very a pure message. It was uh, straight from the heart. And Laura really responded to it. So I think that's the other factor which is unique. Um, which enabled this project to come as far as it has is Laura. Laura is a extraordinary person. I think, you know, she brings uh, an extraordinary open-mindedness, uh, willingness to challenge the old established norms, to shake things up, but to do so in a very diplomatic, very skillful, uh, professional way, which brings everyone with her on board it's not that we've selected them they've selected us and it's really mm. about what is it that we're doing as museums so it's a sort of museum ethnography of, of thinking about your own practices is this where we need to take museums is this the new developments in museums so in that sense this fitted very well with 
my sort of developing my own thinking and developing us as a discipline and as a sector. Um, so in that sense, it sort of organically grew. And then the, I think this year has really brought this idea of ha what happens when we're not just talking about does it need to be returned or is it, you know, sort of are the descriptions right and is it meaningful what we're telling about them, but actually where we're really thinking, okay, there is this whole other knowledge system, which is the indigenous knowledge system, which in this case of the Maasai is a very exceptional um, spiritual leadership and spiritual knowledge system, spiritually based, but also on traditionally culturally based knowledge system, which is seems quite intact. And quite, so at least that's how Sam certainly refers to it. Um, and that is, I think, something that has really sort of struck me. We're really bringing together each other's knowledge systems which for our side is really based in historical documents. What, what have we been able, what are we able to find about these collectors? Because often they're very badly, mm. the information isn't really well recorded. And then in the Pit Rivers Museum, it's quite exceptionally well recorded usually still, because there's been a lot of attention given to collections history. And also because it's Oxford, so they were very meticulous in making sure that they got all the information. But still for these objects, many times we have very little. So that's quite a sort of huge gaps in that knowledge system, in this academic sort of um, base knowledge. And then the knowledge that was actually being able to be unlocked through that other knowledge system, through uh, the spiritual guidance, was really quite um, exceptional. And for me, the, 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 the thing that I'm going to have to reflect on really deeply, how do we as museums which, you know, especially a museum that has put at the core of its vision different ways of knowing and different ways of being, how do we actually then act? And how do we translate that into so that all our half a million visitors who come through the museum's door will be able to learn? Yeah. And there's a long, long road ahead of us. also because we had um, Jessica on board. Jessica Frankopan, who has a foundation called the Staples Trust, and she's also an anthropologist and um, trained in, in Cambridge. Cambridge has a very similar museum as this, called the Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. And she, But she lives in Oxford, so she had connections with the Pitt Rivers and an interest in getting more involved. Um, she came to our first event and she met Sam and Laura and heard all about it firsthand. And, you know, through her personal interest in this, in this topic, she became involved and was able to um, get some, help us get some finance for the next stage, which involved um, a delegation of five Maasai um, to come to represent the Maasai from Kenya and Tanzania. That, and also to fund the museum staff to prepare to do a better inventory of the Maasai collection. I think there are around 200 objects that they have. And the delegation came to examine the whole collection and work out which of the objects they had were problematic. Um, and so that's what happened in 2018. Uh, over several days, we worked with the curators here in the museum going through the collection and uh, correcting the narratives or in many cases just actually 
telling the story and describing what these objects were because there was zero information about some of them. So the database was improved and so on, and, and these narratives were updated. Um, there was a chance for the Maasai to uh, tell, tell their own story, to share their perspectives and their struggle in the, in, in the present day by connecting with the past. Right, I can understand someone listening saying, oh, I think I follow. Museums have information about people around the world, but it's incomplete or it's not been well researched. But this is much more than that. Uh, and, and I want to emphasize that for anyone listening. This is not just filling in missing information. One of the things that I remember really well is that Sam, when uh, the delegation, when they came back in, 2007, in 2018, really sort of said, we've, we've talked about it. Initially, we were really shocked and angry, but actually we've also been reflecting and thinking, you know what, maybe we need to take this as an opportunity to maybe do things differently and think about whether there's relationships that we can build, a partnership that we can build. And that partnership could be built on, okay, there's this troubling situation. We're both not really responsible for that, as in that we weren't involved in the actual taking and we're not involved in the actual um, sort of situation itself, because that's a historic situation. But we are involved in the present situation, which is causing this. And it looks like there's still ongoing damage happening because certain objects have been taken, where families are really suffering. How could we maybe use that moment as a moment to actually build something that is imagining our futures is on the one hand understanding the past making it no known to people but also imagining futures the message was yeah i feel something has to be done and not for the sake of the massive but for the sake of an entire indigenous community museums are holding uh, diverse uh, knowledges and wisdoms of indigenous people people left been the cultures have been broken partly because of what colonial uh, people did. So um, there must be a discussion and, and, and possibly going beyond repartition. We need to think about uh, relationships. Yeah. So this is a kind of a message and I framed it in a way that we need to speak, we need to talk, we need to engage. And the ultimate um, outcome will be a relationship which is going to heal everything human beings, nature, because of the knowledge that we used to, to govern and being custodians of the environment we live. To be able to use the space on the one hand to talk about the colonial violence that was happening at that time and how it continues in the today, and at the same time to talk about humanity's many ways of being, knowing and creating and coping, is a real opportunity. It's how do we tell different stories that are meaningful, that people want to come in for and actually learn about and really learn about ways of, for example, reconciliation that the Maasai have, you know, which is something that, you know, specifically Britain and Europe could do mm-hmm. very well with, yeah. learning different ways of doing that. We did not put resources in kind of setting a, a professional designer to talk about the output, you know, <laughs> kind of a, a log frame. You know, all those things. People said log frame at the same time. The whole thing is just flowing from hearts of people. And I think this is actually kind of a lesson that um, things can move. 
what I would like to see is, is the Maasai being able to co-create an exhibition with the curators here. Uh, you know, having a six-month exhibition and, and bringing in the public and educating them. Decoloniality is a process, and this is also it's part of a process of learning, listening, and really taking each other seriously and saying, okay, you can't tell me now yet, we'll wait for another mm. so much time. Which is the nice thing about museums, that they have a long view. <laughs> so in that sense, they're here to stay, for, especially in places like Oxford. The, the communities that we work with uh, can make videos to show, to talk about the, the artefacts back home in, in their local context, show how they're being used even today. The same, same significant cultural objects are still being used 100 years later, 150 years later. Um, it shows how resilient the culture is despite colonisation. And we are very happy. And my people and myself particularly, now that we've been able to sustain, I was worried there are some challenges but we've been able to sail through, particularly backing from the, the heart of the Maasai spiritual and cultural leadership that actually accepted to move forward with this process. This makes me feel like I'm worthy, working hard to make sure that it happens. I think museum can be a place where uh, people can encounter these communities very easily. But people, we need museum to be a place where people can come and see people celebrating resistance, celebrating, you know, cultures. This edition of Citizen Reporter was produced in cooperation with Insight Share. Special thanks to Nick Lunch and his team, as well as Laura van Bruckhoven, Samuel Nangiria, both my wonderful guests today. For more information on this project and to see all the fantastic content being produced by the Maasai and other indigenous groups, go to Insight Share on YouTube. I'll put a link to their channel. Citizen Reporter is an independently produced, self-funded endeavor that's been going for over 15 years now. For more programs, go to citizenreporter.org or in that podcast app that you're using to listen to this program, just search Citizen Reporter or type my name. In your favorite podcast app, you can subscribe and get all the new programs as they come. Coming up on the next programs, you'll be hearing from more members of the Maasai community on different aspects of their lives in the contemporary context, living cultures, and the challenges they face in today's global climate. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. See you.